Welcome to the Marshall Pruitt Podcast, part two of your week in sports cars, featuring myself, Marshall Pruitt, Cooper Tires, Justice Brothers, British Brother. Is he on the other line? I am. Hello. Hello from a sunny, bright and sunny, albeit still in lockdown, uh, UK. It's getting into the, uh, well, the early evening here, uh, uh, what's been a beautiful uh, uh, day in so, southern part of England. Um, good to be with you. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world. So continuing this delightful episode with the other half of the questions we have received on the world of WEC, Asian Le Mans series, European Le Mans series, ACO things in general, something we refer to as WEC Asm Elms, ACO, IMSA, fun, and general as our official selecta, Graham Goodwin, editor of DailySportsCar.com. Where shall we start? And I must admit, I think I know, I think I can predict where you're going to have his head. Well, we're going to be starting with the Wack Aslam's Akko Elms thing, thinking of a Jake Ujima flip. Uh, but before that, there's clearly been some fairly significant news in the uh, days between the last part of the Weekend Sports Cars and this show. And that's come with the, the next phase of contingency planning from... Uh, the ACO for the European Le Mans series, but more particularly and most significantly for the WEC. And to focus on that, uh, just if you've not had a chance to catch up, what's happened is first and foremost, a, um, a recasting of the calendar to return to a calendar year uh, season from 2021. That means we're going to have three races if things go to plan uh, this year to complete season eight which significantly means that uh, the season will not finish at Le Mans. It will finish at the end of November in Bahrain. So Spa, uh, Le Mans in September, Bahrain to complete this season, and then not start next season until March 2021, which I think we can accurately predict will be Super Sebring, and it will be a doubleheader, which basically uh, solves two problems. It's fair to say that the move to winter timetable caused more problems than it solved, that has been fixed. Uh, it also means that they kick the hypercar introduction some months further down the road. That's not a surprise, bearing in mind the massive commercial, industrial uh, and production and development challenges that industry is suffering at the moment that assist them to build that grid, hopefully including Jim Glickenhouse's beautiful-looking car that could join from Sebring. And further to that, the final major part of that means there's a further delay for the LMDH introduction. Remember, that was supposed to be September 2021 with the WEC. Uh, they'll now join the WEC calendar the following season. Uh, but, so that means that the first time we'll see an LMDH in anger against the current plan MP is not with the WEC, but actually for the Rolex 24 Hours 2022 with IMSA. Mm. significant very very not only significant in terms of changes and adjustments graham but also potential ramifications for the future in your conversations with the aco and or wec have you gotten any feeling as to whether this return to as you mentioned a normal calendar year schedule compared to uh, splitting it across half seasons half years i should say any feeling as to whether this is a one-time reaction uh, no, with all this, the coronavirus is, uh, delays? No, this, 
this is going to stay. Uh, mm. They, I think they've they gave it a shot at the winter calendar. Uh, there were some reasons why that felt like the right thing to do. But I think what they've found is trying to crowbar something into um, regular motorsports year across two seasons causes all sorts of regulatory issues, budgetary issues, because it doesn't fit the budget uh, cycle for most companies. It causes problems for drivers uh, where the pro drivers are unable to actually commit to full season here and full season there because it crosses two seasons and everything else. A whole range of issues that this uh, emerged as actually causing. And they emerged quite quite early on. I'll say this. Uh, I've said it in, a, in an editorial that uh, uh, popped onto Daily Sports Card this morning. The sport does not have a very fine record in terms of the contingency planning and their ability to basically... Uh, do a little bit of self-analysis and say, we got that wrong. I think they've moved quite quickly here. Um, remains to be seen whether or not they'll be able to stick to this effectively plan A from return to racing. But for what it's worth, what we've seen in this iteration, I think is pretty smart. Slightly more concerns about the proposed revised schedule for the European Le Mans series, which starts uh, back with the race and a test for that matter in July in the south of France at Le Castellet, though that location at least gives the opportunity for that first race to be done behind closed doors if that's necessary. So more concerns about their ability to stick to that time frame. Um, I think what they've announced is ambitious, but it's a very good stake in the ground to allow people to start to do some initial planning around. Uh, everything still provisional, provisional on the basis of the ongoing and very fluid situation, provisional on the basis that there are other championships, particularly Formula One, which will need to decide what they're going to do. And it may well be that things have to change as a result of that. But for me, um, pretty comprehensive and a good response to what is a very challenging situation for any race organiser. Ain't that the truth, Ruth? All right, we are going to pick up the remaining Weckasm Elms Echo questions for you. Not many left to get through on Weckasm Elms Echo, Graham, but we're going to start with our pal, Jacob Bame, who has two. First one being, what is a technology feature, Graham, you'd like to see as a Garage 56 entrant at Le Mans one day? This is also, do you think Garage 56 would gain more traction if it was allowed to do full Weck or ELMS calendars instead of just one race it's a great question and we've lost a little bit of momentum i think with the garage 56 idea if, if you're not familiar with what this is back in the days where we had 55 garages they installed a 56 but uh, but re reserved the right to allocate that to something with an advanced technology or some kind of demonstration model um what i'd like to see is the first iteration, development iteration of a technology that we will see in future years in racing. And the one that's blindingly obvious that uh, that could and should be there is hydrogen fuel cell. There is a smart um, parallel program here where we've already seen the ACO's technology demonstrator uh, based on an ADES chassis taking part in free practice for the Michelin Le Mans Cup. They're trying to get that car. It's massively overweight uh, for LMP3, trying to get that car to something like GT3 levels of performance. Um, 
but also demonstrating the refueling technology with a transportable fuel station. Hydrogen fuel cell is what I'd like to see, but I'd like us to, to you know, to emerge punching from this um, fiasco that has gripped the global economy uh, with some of those manufacturers looking to show what they can do with that as a shop window. Would I like there to be a place for that in the wider championship? Yeah, I would. And actually, there is. There is the opportunity for the organisers to say that a car that is you know, sufficiently safe and a sufficient performance can do more. We will see, I'm absolutely certain of it, the Garage 56 car that is going to be competing at Le Mans this year, uh, that is the Frederick Sose Academy, that car, on a, based on an LMP2 uh, chassis uh, for three paraplegic uh, drivers, uh, will be competing, I believe, in some of the early season ELMS races. That's as it should be. It should be a technology demonstrator. The more you demonstrate something, the more people you're going to reach. Well, looky there. You know, we have two from Jacob. We're actually going to split those. In okay. between the Jacob Bame sandwich, Daniel Summerskill. Sorry, Daniel. Don't know if that's something you wanted or not, but you just got it's it for not, free. It's not, it's uh, not a limit you want, is it, really? <laughs> we didn't even slather you in mayonnaise or anything. We just, <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, Daniel says, with a cancellation of the Lamont test day, Graham, do you think it's likely to use the Tuesday before the race? maybe an unofficial practice session for the rookie drivers. He says, hashtag me personally, it seems a bit of a steep learning curve without it and a tad dangerous. Um, I think the answer is we are likely to see some extra free practice sessions um, injected into the uh, program. Remember, track time at Le Mans happens quite late in the evening for the one free practice session we have at the moment on the Wednesday. First of the qualifying sessions, new qualifying system at the bottom this year as well, remember. Could they use the Tuesday? Possibly. My guess is earlier on Wednesday. Why? Because, of course, the thing with Le Mans is to run, you've got to close the public roads. Yeah. That tends to be something that is done by public statutes. That tends to be more difficult than anywhere else to squeeze in a, uh, a session. So my guess is that we will go running... Uh, earlier on Wednesday than otherwise we normally would. And the other thing I'd throw in, Graham, is if I'm thinking about the items that I want the inexperienced to learn, obviously lapping the circuit in general, not a bad idea, although that can yep. be done at least from a pacing, from a uh, routine building of memory. You can do that through simulation. We know that the ACO requires, you know, has requirements for heading to Paris and doing sim time as well. It's the night practice. That's yep. the part that, frankly, although the night is not super long at Le Mans, uh, I guess it'll be a little bit longer, though, the rescheduled uh, point where it's happening this year in September. But nonetheless, that to me is the thing that, boy, more than just going out in the morning to learn the track, uh, I would say if I had to pick, it would be turning the track on Tuesday night, uh, Tuesday evening, some sort of uh, into darkness type session where you do maybe get an hour uh, with it properly lit, but then get that transitional phase of the, the sun dropping right in your eyes, provided there is sun, who knows. Uh, but that to me of all the value 
it would actually be more of a Tuesday evening, late afternoon, early evening type thing uh, than uh, simply sending them out in regular, you know, morning practice type thing to get extra lappery. So don't know if that wisdom is valid or will prevail, but that's at least what fell into my brain here. Let's wait and see what happens with that. That is a hashtag wait and see. Um, I think that there's a lot of rapid thinking going on about the ramifications of what's been enforced upon them for choices and what options they have within that. So far, like I say, what we've heard back from the Brains Trust at the ACO and LMEM has been pretty good. Let's wait and see whether or not that uh, continues. Going to go to Jacob again. Says, do you know what happened to the three glorious BR1 chassis from the super season? He says, does SMP use them anywhere in any capacity? And did Dragon Speed manage to sell their car? I don't believe uh, Dragon Speed have sold that car. Uh, The BR1s, I've seen at least one of them um, on exhibition, but it may be they've actually got a show car as well. Um, whilst I can't tell you about the BR1s, I can tell you something about the BR01s. Remember, that was the previous LMP2 yeah. car that, uh, amongst other things, I seem to recall one of those cars um, entered for the Rolex 24 a few years ago, did they not? Am uh, I right? Entered, maybe. I don't recall it being on track, though. Uh, but Either way, this was the, I thought, reasonably pretty uh, LMP2 car. This is the pre-2017 iteration of LMP2. Um, I'm aware that a number of those cars, and they had quite a number of them, I seem to recall being told that were close to double figures of those cars built, chassis built for those cars, and only SMP Racing ever ran them, that a number of those cars have found their way to the UK and will be offered uh, for sale and or arrive and drive in the Masters Endurance Legends, the Global uh, Endurance uh, Historic Championships for but while one hopes later this year, but certainly into next year. So we are, by the look of it, going to see some of the ex-SMP racing LMP cars back in action. But as for the BR1s, I have heard nothing. Take one more here from Tommy Haverman, who says, AMP and GG, long-time listener, first-time questioner here. And I'm throwing an accent on Tommy that I'm sure isn't fitting, but hey. (laughs) Uh, Tommy says, I read in February's edition of Race Car Engineering, a fine publication, by the way, that Gordon Murray is considering joining the hypercar regulations with his upcoming T.50 sports car. Graham, have you heard any updates about this possible program? No, I know exactly the information of which you speak. Uh, I've seen that uh, things are progressing with the T50. Uh, Gordon Murray's um, effectively son of McLaren F1, because obviously Gordon was the father of that fantastic beast. It's time for guesswork here. And my guesswork would be that they, like every other industrial organization in the automotive business, have been hit hard by our current situation. So anything other them basically getting to where they need to get to to get a product launched is likely to have taken second played second fiddle it's also likely that the uncertainty that's been surrounding the mon hypercar has not been a positive force here uh, for the prospects of seeing that car uh, in competition the the fact that it's gone so very quiet the fact that nobody's even hinted that there's a possibility of an additional hypercar brand joining 
the conversations that were had directly with Gerard Nouveau about the introduction of Hypercar mentioned three. It mentioned Toyota. It mentioned Clickenhouse. It mentioned Bicolus. There was no mention whatsoever of anybody else to come on that front for 2021. So I think the answer at the moment is, ain't going to happen. Graham, did I ever tell you, I think it was 90, either late 96, probably maybe 97, earlier 97. I was at Sears Point for whatever I was doing. And next to the shop that I worked at forever, I probably just popped in to say hi. It was up there for whatever reason, popped into the shop that I worked at forever. And my one of my mentors from that shop, Five Ridge Racing, he was in a shop next door to it. Actually used to house Tom Gloy's Trans Am, uh, Ford mm-hmm. Mustang Trans Am program. So went to my old shop, saw folks there. Hey, what's up? How you doing? And uh, then said, well, I need to pop by here and see uh, my man, John Ennick in the cars he's looking after for a very wealthy uh, Korean, I believe Korean American uh, gentleman race car driver named Aaron Shu, and mm-hmm. just beyond wealthy. So I'd gone into that shop before and the doors are always closed. I mean, it's true. Not that they had crazy security or anything, but it was just always not open for business. And if you didn't know who was in it, you, there was no signs. There's no anything. Luckily I knew because one of my best friends and mentors was the guy looking after Aaron's cars. So however much before that I'd walked in one day and saw all three of the Porsche factory shell 1988 Le Mans team wow right all three Porsche factory Porsche 962 C's not one but all of them and it was just one of those things where my head goes what (laughs) what is going on and so Aaron again raced some and had fun and whatever whatever he also bought one of Senna's 1988 McLaren MP44 championship winning F1 cars uh, which he hung on his wall Right. I mean, the, you want to talk about FU money. That's FU. When yep. you're hanging one of the greatest Formula One cars ever driven by one of the greatest drivers ever. And that's wall art. Uh, you know, it was either that or the poster of dogs playing poker, you know, and you went with the 88 McLaren MP44 Honda. Probably the, orig- probably the original. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so knew that Aaron could have some pretty amazing things in that little shop. Happened to pop by again at this point. Uh, the 1996 Global BPR uh, season had finished however many months ago. And opened the door and find Ray Bellum's championship winning golf liveried McLaren F1 GTR. Wow. And I'm not talking a replica or a spare. I'm the talking car. the. And it was just amazing to walk again. This thing had been on the track not too long. I mean, geez not just recent car like you could enter it in the championship and keep going and probably win it it's just amazing seeing this thing in you know northern california an hour north of san francisco randomly in a shop that always keeps the doors closed and never lets people know what's inside and i just remember graham seeing that and going oh my god iconic as it was brand new and i remember my friend john you know johnny he said come here come here he says push the door button i'm like what he said just shut up come here just push the door button and so it's this fairly large you know button to put with a detent but it had a perfect amount of tension so that you couldn't the door would not open 
mistakenly, but you pressed it. And he then said, watch. And they had spent, McLaren had spent time figuring out what they felt was the perfect opening speed of acceleration (laughs) with the little gas shock absorber that controlled the door. So it opened at a high rate and then rapidly decelerated without causing any vibration or anything to the door. But it was, yeah, but it was just, he was pointing out all these little things like that, where again, this car V12 BMW and all these things, again, amazing. We know that stuff, but he was just tickled to show me all the little things you go, look how far they thought that through. Um, Anyways, it was just amazing. I have to say, I've only met Gordon Murray for any period of time once. And it came at the uh, Silverstone um, Memorial for Sir Jack Brabham. Mm. And uh, he spent time with some of the media that were there in the fringes of that event. And you know that thing about don't meet your heroes? Bullshit. The guy's amazing. Uh, generous with his time, generous with his thoughts about the things that we could talk about. And here's the thing, MP, I hope he does come racing again because this sport needs maverick genius. And that's exactly what he still is, uh, always was, still is. So, Gordon, if you're listening, probably not. No. But, uh, if you're listening, nah. Um, come on, bring it. Uh, whatever you want to do it in. Um, LMDH clearly isn't going to quite fit, but let's see somewhere where we can actually get that thing on track in some way, shape or form, because that's a man that needs to be in racing. Never met the man, dreamt of meeting the man and just, yeah, I know he wouldn't have the time or interest, but I could easily spend days (laughs) just asking questions. He's truly one of my career long career wide heroes for his design ingenuity. So Oh, I love it that we can spend some time talking about Gordon Murray in there the middle of our sports car show. Where are we going next, my friend? We're going to go. We're going to go into. Um, at, we are, and it's going to be Robert Pielli Jr. Uh, who says, "What are the chances that Cor and Corvette Racing don't make the reschedule mid a higher round, so a week after Le Mans? Loading will literally be three to four days after the race conclusion. It seems air freighting the cars." Uh, would be the only option if customs isn't an issue. Yeah, I have. Let me actually use a fine Graham Goodwin hashtag on our hashtag T-shirt. I am hashtag coming from a position of zero knowledge on this. (laughs) (laughs) But I have heard rumblings that there could be some adjustments to the Detroit schedule. No one expects Detroit to hold its May 30th, 31st uh, spot that it has right now in the calendar. It's an IndyCar weekend with IMSA as the undercard. No one expects that to hold. Uh, That calendar spot, traditionally two weeks before Le Mans, uh, which also tends to be the conflicting weekend of the Le Mans test, has left GTLM cars off of it for a little while now. as birds fly by um from what i little rumblings that i'm hearing a we expect detroit to be moved to october b there would no longer be a conflict with the 24 hours of Le Mans with that street race in particular therefore we would have the option 
to put GTLM, GTLM, Jacob, please add GTLM on, uh, I believe, to uh, the Twictionary of my mispronunciations. We would have the ability to add GTLM in at Detroit, where we have General Motors in their global headquarters. Very important for them. We would have that opportunity. I believe if we're just looking at sane choices, Graham, I believe we could see a bit of further strategery and changery with IMSA's calendar leading to uh, maybe a solution that Robert is inquiring about, which is, hey, timing really doesn't work now with Mid-Ohio and GTLM. What if we were to take GTLM off of that event and move that date to uh, for GTLM to Detroit? So wouldn't be surprised if that ends up being what happens. Okay, a couple more on IMSA before we move on to a bit of fun and general to finish the... Uh, what about uh, from Dan Glass? Can racing teams, at least the US-based ones, make use of the small business money bailout program? I can tell you in the UK, if they're an established company or you're established employees, you can. Uh, the answer is yes. And I would suggest, Dan, visiting racer.com, where I wrote about a 1,000 words, I think, or so, maybe 800 words, whatever the count was wrote about this and posted it. I'm trying to find it here. Scrolling down the good old interwebs. I think this might have gone up on Tuesday. Something along those lines. Um, where this is indeed the exact thing that is possible. We have $349 billion set aside, Graham, for what is called the Payroll Protection Program. Uh, yep. And that is designed uh, to help small businesses there's really no there's nothing written in terms of what is eligible or is not eligible industries and types and such so uh, yeah this went up on march 31st pruitt teams race to secure coronavirus stimulus aid and i do know that many teams were there friday morning uh, getting right in line as this program went live so the answer is yes Correct. they absolutely can in reading some of the issues that folks had, though trying to secure those loans yesterday, it's clear as well. There's a lot of ironing out of wrinkles to be done. Uh, so, yes. Answer is yes. Uh, will it uh, indeed happen? Actually happen as we hope? That's uh, a bit of a hashtag let's wait and see answer. Okay. Okay, final one for him, sir, for this little collection comes from Jose Tapia. That's another name I can't remember uh, having set up before. So if you're new to us, Jose, you are very welcome on board. Do you guys think it's possible for, or we'd like to see engine suppliers enter the LMDH category, Gibson running as a Gibson, AER running as an AER, etc. Bodywork apps uh, aspect would have to be worked uh, sorted, says Jose, but they would be mating an engine to a spec chassis like the Caddy, Nissan, etc. have been has this idea from what he had his idea from watching Sebring where the LMP2 Gibson finished fourth. Great idea, Jose. Absolutely possible in terms of physical capability. As I understand, absolutely impossible from a regulatory standpoint. Still don't know what the numbers will end up be being, Graham. Still not sure what the minimum threshold's going to be. But I believe the minimum automotive road car manufacturing 
homologation requirement, something in those range. I don't know how they're going to phrase it. I don't know how they're going to explain it. But I'm, I'm hearing that it could be a highish number that says, hey, so you're a boutique supercar manufacturer and you make 10 cars a year, 50 cars a year. It's not going to be enough in order to enter LMDH. I keep hearing the number is in the low thousands. Again, I'm not claiming that to be a fact. It's just something that I've heard. And if that is the case, we have a bit of a problem on both fronts with Gibson not making automotive products uh, or AER. Uh, They make great engines, but they don't make cars. And as I understand things, there will be a four-digit automotive vehicle manufacturing requirement in place, which would be a a non-issue for all the typical players the cadillacs the fords the porsches the mazdas Acuras, and so on again that's not an issue there but i think this could be a bit of an issue graham in terms of filtering out some of the brands we'd hoped to see some that could be wide open embraced fully in the fiewc's hypercar class but not IMSA's LMDH, uh, the the bar of entry. How many, the minimum number of cars you must make to play in hypercar, don't think that's really going to be an issue. I don't think there's going to be any real pushback. Hey, Colin Collis, you built one. Come on down. <laughs> You're the next contestant in the hypercar such and such. Um, there was the interesting point, wasn't there, from Vincent Pomenel, we discussed it before, that they're allowing Collis in on the same basis they allowed ford in to gte pro that uh, there is a promise that there will be uh, production uh, road going vehicles that apply to that kind of high park car regulations from bicolis at some point within a defined period of time but uh, uh, it strikes me as being less and less of the defining factor than actually being able to put a car on track uh, with those parts of the regulations right now for the hypercar wrecks and just another quick note i mentioned this in my weekend indycar listener q a episode with a related future indycar regulations question it's one thing graham to say hey hypercar changed it's not going live in september it's going to go live at sebring in march of 2021 it's another you can also say hey lmdh that's going to go live for the first time instead of September of 2021 with the WEC. Mm-hmm. That's now going to be at the 24 hours of Daytona in January of 2022. Yep. Those are great things to say. Those are all statements predicated upon a belief that once the coronavirus is no longer in our lexicon and we have the ability to get really close to one another, and go motor racing and have fans and life returns to normal that we will have a global economy correct that has name all of the anticipated or announced hypercars or intended lmdhs or future indycar rigs this is not specific to us in sports cars but this hope is predicated upon a global economy that will support this. Uh, this is predicated upon manufacturers saying, hey, 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 
So we love racing what we have right now. And we're going to fight like mad to continue to get budgets to do that in the middle of a recession, provided we have a recession, which I think some might say we're currently uh, in the opening stanza of that recession. The thought of commissioning a new racing program, new R&D, much bigger budget to create something new and race it compared to just keep the current thing ticking over. Uh, that's the bigger question. And I'm not, this isn't meant to be doom and gloom at all, but we are obviously going to talk about reality here. I love the idea as to you, as do we all, Hey boy, uh, March next year, we get to see the Toyota hypercar and hopefully a Glickenhaus and uh, some other things. Great. Got to see where we end up in terms of corporate buy-in on significant motor racing budgets being acceptable based on the world economy Uh, i can tell you we've seen nascar push their next generation uh regulation shift back Uh, we've seen formula one say yeah so all the cool new stuff that was coming next year nah we're pushing that back do i expect to hear similar from indycar yes do i expect to hear similar from imsa yes well because We can put a date on things and say, this is when it's going to happen. Brother, we need to get through this to see where we stand with everyone's finances and willingness to spend before anyone can say, and this is the go live date for that new formula in whatever form of racing you happen to enjoy. Uh, Yeah, uh, I completely, absolutely agree with that. Apologies for the little uh, tone from my phone there. That's just telling me I've just become a great uncle. There you go. Uh, Which is uh, jolly nice. Well done, uh, young Victoria. Congratulations. Um, You were a good uncle before. Now you're a great uncle. I wasn't bad, but there you go. Now we've only got a few minutes left. Should we rattle through a couple of fun to finish here? We should. Let me uh, me grab one or two others that I, I realize we lost. Um, Sean Caldwell, he says, is there any news on the attempt to reschedule the long beach race at another track? This is hashtag me personally would suggest to make the road America race four hours long and worth double points. Thanks for all the hard work you guys are doing. Love the idea, Sean. I've heard nothing about it. Uh, but maybe we need to keep saying it. So they'll do it. Our man, Darren Dubois (laughs) asks on IMSA, how will the delay of the season affect driver and manufacturer silly season? Well, refer to the recession conversation we just had my friend um yeah the will we have jobs will we have racing will we have manufacturers uh i want that's that's not even silly that's the sad season that's what we've we've come up with the sad season so uh that's all we have for imsa to cover off all right my friend you pick what we're going to grab the last couple of minutes of the show from hegeneral und fun fun I'm going to go for a couple of fun questions because I think we need a bit of uplifting after all of that. Uh, I'm going to go for favorite liveries. Jerry Harding asked the question with the, well, the Mazda 787B might be the craziest livery to bring Le Mans. His favorite as a rotary fan. Design was pretty standard fare for Group C cars. Really? Uh, what are some of your favorite liveries designs to win Le Mans? Hashtag me personally. He thinks the Bentley Speed 8 is up there. His best looking of the 21st century. What say you, Hmm. I will go. All right. We're talking win Lamont. Oh boy. Let me. All right. I have one idea. 
I need you. If you hear some typing on the internet here, um, it's because I need to confirm one thing before I say it because I don't want to be more stupid than usual because <laughs> uh, I have the year a little bit wonky in my head. 1978, Ooh. the uh, Renault Alpine. Uh, let's oh. go with that one, right? Oh, I love the colors of the good old Reggie Mobile. Uh, it looked great. Beautiful, swoopy, open cockpit thing. And yeah, yellow, black and white. Yeah. Uh, the, the yellow, the black, the white, uh, and just the fonts as well. Uh, the fonts just worked between Renault, between Elf. I just, it was so stylish. I absolutely loved it. Well, I, I, I think it's a good call with the Bentley. I have to tell you, I thought that was perfectly suited uh, to that car. You've also got to look at the, some of the truly iconic stuff that's come out of Le Mans, the Silkcut Jaguars, the Rothmans, Porsches, the Golf everything. Um, I think you're right. I think, I'll be honest with you, I think it's the Bentley. Certainly the 21st century, head and shoulders above it. The Audis absolutely crushed it without a shadow of a doubt, but fairly derivative stuff in terms of the liveries we saw on board those cars. The 21st century Bentley of all time in terms of a Le Mans winning livery. I've got to go with golf. I've got to go with golf simply because it stood the test of time for so very long. Uh, the golf livery for me is the one that uh, I'll probably take to my grave. You want Ooh. to grab one? Is that a, uh, is, is that a casket request? <laughs> that would be something that would be something wouldn't it i've got one that i want to finish with here uh a question if, if, i don't know if you've got one that's caught your eye let me just spin through here i was actually just cleaning my glasses so i could see properly <laughs> uh and there's a lot of great stuff here by the way uh in fun in general we're not going to be able to get to this week so please throw this in uh or anything back in that you want us to get to uh, you know, I'll go back to Daniel Summerskill here. Uh, you might have tossed this one in once or twice before. It says, what are your most disappointing or shambolic attempts at Le Mans? He says, hashtag me personally. Would either be Aston Martin's AMR1, the Nissan GTR LM Nismo, or the J-Lock Lamborghini effort from 2009? Do any beyond those three stand out, Graham? And if they don't, which one of those three? Oh, yeah. Uh, for me, uh, all good calls. But uh, I think we have very short memories when we think about some of the shambles that we saw from a couple of major German manufacturers in the late 90s. Um, the design faults that actually saw the 1998 BMWs uh, in trouble. And we should never forget the utter um, display of incompetence uh, on the aerodynamic front that... Uh, basically meant that Mercedes-Benz have not been back since. For me, it's Mercedes-Benz CLR um, to effectively ignore a known fault in a car that put their drivers at risk. I think that's that's a shambles. That, that goes way beyond uh, the mechanical shambles that we saw from the Aston Martin, uh, way beyond the... Well, I don't know what really fueled the J Lock thing and the Nissan thing. We've been over and over and over yeah, again. Yeah, but I want to grab the, me. I want to grab the Nissan though. Uh, yeah. I'll also mention the J Lock. One of my favorite photos, and it was an unintentional oh. capture of that Lambo, was the car heading into the Porsche curve. So I was shooting on driver's left, panning as the car went across uh, from right to left for me, and happened to look at whatever shot that I had that night and noticed that the 
I think it was the number panel on the driver's side door was illuminated, how it was illuminated. And it was because they had duct taped a small rectangular flashlight to the door. (laughs) (laughs) There was no actual embedded electronics, truly some 200 mile an hour duct tape and a little rectangular flashlight is how they complied with the rules uh i mean that i just thought that was emblematic of that uh the nissan thing again we we have certainly uh covered that uh ad nauseum i would just say that my the reason for that standing out as the number one most shambolic of all time and for all time is a very simple disproportionate amount of talk to delivery uh darren cox who was the manager of that pro, who was the boss over all of that, uh, he has done some phenomenal things in the sport. He continues to. If we talk eSports, the man has, has truly done immensely innovative things. It's just proven to be the best use of his skills. The amount of talk about this program and how it was going to fell the world and it was going to this, I mean, it was I will always remember this, Daniel, for one reason. We know about the car's performance failures, the management failures, everything that did not happen to allow it to succeed. If that were matched with humility, I don't think this would stand out nearly as much, Graham. I think it would fall behind some other programs that under-delivered. But unfortunately, the megaphone blast of pr and yappity yappity yap at all times about how this was going to explode the world of motor racing best everyone else has had it wrong we're the only ones who have it right and on and on to then take such a visible nosedive that is just this massive level of bullshit to reality i cannot think of any other lamar program that comes there's no one else on the podium but this 2015 (laughs) nissan gtr lm nismo effort simply because the amount of talk turn down the talk it's a disappointment not necessarily p1 on the podium all by itself okay from that to the opposite pole and I think the question that's going to close this uh, edition of the Weekend Sports Cars comes from Jacob Bame again, uh, but it's a good one, this one. This Not is the Jacob Bame episode of the Weekend Sports Cars, by the way, brought and to you by Jacob Bame. Jacob says, uh, bumming off one of MP's stories from the latest Weekend Indy Cars about the German volunteer car at the Indy 500. Not heard that one. Bernard Perkins here. Um, there you go. What is the most uplifting sports car paddock story you can tell us? I'm going to give you mine. Please. Okay, first and foremost. First thing I'd say is there is never a better, a better time to be part of the motorsport family than when it's in absolute adversity and particularly when somebody gets hurt. There's never a better time to feel amongst that group. However, my tale is not one of those. It's an economic tale and it is a revered member of the uh, sports car family, a man with an unrivaled history in the sports uh, an association with the Le Mans 24 Hours that spanned decades as a driver, as a winner, as a team owner, as a manufacturer. 
Um, and then he got into uh, economic trouble and he got involved with the wrong people and he lost uh, the opportunity to race. I'm talking, of course, of Henri Pescarolo. Mm. And when the, uh, the, the, the doors finally closed on Pescarolo Sports and he was forced into uh, to liquidate the, uh, the team, uh, opened to public auction, and I got a call uh, that evening. You're never going to believe what's happened here. And what had happened was that a small consortium of um, well-to-do French businessmen had gone along, had bid for the key assets of that uh, operation, um, I believe including the premises, um, that uh, they'd effectively bought the assets of the team and once the auction had been concluded, turned to Henri and simply handed it over to him. Uh, that, to me, is a gesture of massive respect. Jacques Nicolet was the man uh, behind that gesture, and I will never forget that. That, I thought, was an amazing sporting gesture. Whether or not you've got the wherewithal to achieve it, there's a big difference between having the money and doing that. And um, I thought that was an astonishing sporting gesture. I'll never forget it, MP. Never forget that call either. That sounds to me like a perfect dailysportscar.com feature to I've, in, I've got Henri, I've got Henri on the phone this week. Beautiful because that is as you mentioned kind of things we need to remind folks of right now because hope uh, that stock has not necessarily been on the rise everywhere. So little items like this uh, I think might just help for those who need or want such things. Graham Goodwin, you're a gem, uh, even though I give you as much poop as possible. Uh, you are a gem. Thank you, for, uh, thank you for doing this each week. I look forward to it more than most things that I do. That is the fine editor of DailySportsCar.com, also a voice, unfortunately a face, but, some, but usually a voice you hear, <laughs> commentary of some fine sports car championships. I'm Marshall Pruitt, a face you don't have to see often at all. That is for public health and safety right there. Uh, I do a variety of things and whatever, blah, blah, blah. Most importantly, we want to say thank you to Cooper Tires. Thank you to the Justice Brothers. Thanks to you. Thanks to you all for sending in your questions, keeping us ticking over and amused, and hopefully we give you back something that isn't total steaming pile of whatever. We'll talk to you next week, I think. Are we going to do this again? Or, or is this the oh, final yeah. show? Are we shutting it down? Are, are we nope, are we going nope, into retirement nope, never nope, to be done nope, again? No, nope, no, nope, no, we're not. Nope. Okay. Persistence. A fine <laughs> attribute. Well, we'll see you again next week, I guess. <laughs>